Welcome everyone to the Seeking the Bridge podcast. Here we are today for episode four. I am Wilson Kong. I am Francis Stewart. And we have a few guests with us here. We have Steve and Sandy Wong, as well as Vince Lee. This is my Tai Si Hing. Steve and Sandy own the property where San Jose Wing Chun has been practicing there for years. Vince, can you give us a little background on your history? I'm 65 years old, and I uh, my path of Wing Chun started back in 72. And I'm currently with uh, Sifu Ben and Sifu Ken. And I've been uh, at Stephen Sandy House, which they've so graciously been hosting for 40 years. And I've been there for, let me see, about 30, 39 years. And uh, I actually started my Wing Chun with uh, Ken back in 72. And I was there with Ken for about a year until we got married, went back to Hong Kong, and I stayed on with Bush Street for um, another year. You started back, you returned to Wing Chun to Sifu Ben in 1982. 82? 82. Yeah, I just started working. And um, I didn't really stop practicing. I just started working out with people at work who found interest in this. Uh, you know, I started continuing my or upkeeping my practice as best as I could by working out with some guys at, uh, at work. When I moved down to uh, Silicon Valley to work in 79, but that's how that got started. But uh, speaking of Bush Street, you know, that was uh, located on Bush and Jones and was actually only four blocks from the gateway of Chinatown, which is, uh, you know, Grant and uh, Bush. So I used to walk to Bush Street from you know, my house where I was living at Pacific Street, which pretty much was the outer um, edges of Chinatown. So I used to walk a mile every Tuesday and Saturday just to go to class. And um, it, it was a good place to be. You know, it was very interesting for a young guy. I was, guess I was 17. Uh, most of the guys were there were older. And if you ask Sifu Ben, you know, he always talks about how we always get uh, busted lips and bloody noses every time we go to class because the senior guys would, uh, you know, hit us. But they weren't being facetious. They was just kind of like uh, hitting us just to show us how they can do it. You know, they weren't mean. It was just it was just how it was. In at Bush Street, how did you get uh, introduced? My good friend Randy, Randy Wong. He, uh, him, and I were inspired by the Bruce Lee movies that came out. You know, The Big Boss. I think that came out about '72 or something like that. So one day we were in a bookstore browsing around, and then we happened to ask the bookstore owner uh, about places to learn Wing Chun. And he had mentioned Ken Chun and uh, Bush Street. So that's how we got started there. As a matter of fact, uh, that's where I saw uh, first saw Sifu Francis when he was three years old, <laughs> running around with his big brother, uh, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that was that's right. I could b- barely remember Bush Street. But so when you started at Bush Street, though, my father was teaching, right? Uh, yes, along with uh, Sifu Ken. Sifu Ken. But actually, you had met my father before Bush Street. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was... Just t- even, can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was about... I was seven years old, and my dad had a um, herbal shop, and he was also an acupuncturist, you know, a Chinese doctor, three doors away from Fong Fong, where, where uh, Sifu Ben had worked as a behind-the-counter. So I used to uh, go there and order ice cream, and he was, used to always give me a kind of a hard steer because he didn't like going... walking way back to the store and scooping ice hard ice cream out of a five-gallon bucket. So to this day, I can still see him in, a, in his black frame glasses and his, and his uh, white smock. And <laughs> Did he give you small look. scoops? Oh, yeah. He gave me a scoop one day. The ice cream was so hard that he just scooped the outside of the ice cream. And when I was walking back to my dad's store, I noticed the ice cream was hollow inside. <laughs> <laughs> we still laugh about that 50 years later. Uh, so when you started at Bush Street, did you recognize my father as, hey, you're that guy from uh, Fong Fong's? Yeah, sure did, because I was only seven. And then who, who would know that 10 years later or so, you know, I would be uh, learning under him and under Sifu Ken on, at Bush Street. So <laughs> it was kind of a fun time. And what was it like working out at Bush Street? Well, on the most crowded, crowdedest night, I, was, I stopped working out for a moment and counted how many guys were there and I counted 50 plus students all working out diligently in a sweaty bottom floor of the, of the apartment building. Yeah, I would say maybe only 10 feet by 20 feet or maybe 15 by 20 feet, not very large because we had a small, um, there was a small backyard back there too. What year was that? 
1972. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember much except for people working out and a lot of uh, smashed windows. Yeah, I had the dubious honor of being pushed through one of them. <laughs> yeah, all the windows were broken, and there were uh, three you sets. Remember who of, shoved you through the window? Uh, no, <laughs> too long ago. I think it was a guy named Alan, though. If I remember vividly, I mean uh, faintly, it was a guy named Alan, who was a doctor, and he still comes to um, San Jose annual picnics once in a while too. So then uh, Ken got married, I think '73, and he went back to Hong Kong. And then he left the school to the students, to the senior guys. So I stayed on another year. And of course, Ben was there along with uh, several other guys, including Eddie Chong, you know, Panam Wing Chun. And I still see these guys at uh, functions like Ken's party. And then, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all looking pretty good. So you know, we're all still good. So uh, yeah, that takes us over to Steve and Sandy. They're not only hosts of San Jose, the current hosts of uh, San Jose Wing Chun for 40 plus years. Uh, they've also started learning from my father, Sifu Bender, around 1970, 74. So Sandy, you started first. Yeah. How did you get started in Wing Chun? Two or three women and a couple of the guys, people that we knew from the San Jose State days. And at the time I was doing Naginata and with the baby on my back, Kayla was just born. He was like maybe two, three months old. And Wing Chun looked like a good way to keep him on my back, work out, and not bonk him on the head. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to where everybody was just learning. So in just uh, at the most doing um, Dan Shi, Hun Sao, so the baby could. Can you see this? Oh, yeah. Crawl around. Raise it just a little bit higher if you can. Oh, wow. Look at those studs. <laughs> when was that taken? I don't know. I was looking on the shelf and there it was. <laughs> I don't remember whose wedding that was. After Sandy started, I, he, you started, Steve. Yeah, copped out of babysitting is what he did. <laughs> I was studying... <laughs> With Lai Hong, Long Style, across the street in the uh, women's gym. Oh, wow. Long Fist, Chung Kun. Yeah, Long Fist. Okay. And I realized that it's long and leaves a lot of gaps. <laughs> so, I, yeah, when I first started, it was, I, I couldn't believe how fast it was. So, Wing Chun, you can just come in really quickly and. Those styles don't have enough, not enough time to recover. And then uh, what did you think when you first saw my dad, this tiny, tiny guy? And, uh, yeah, he, was, he was good. When, when we started, we started with Kim in the education building, which later turned to Burns Hall, which later got torn down and turned into something else. Because that's San Jose State. Yeah, there were a good 50, 75 to 50 people in the education building as well. And I don't remember your dad. Was, was, was Ben there? Yeah, I learned from Ben. I didn't learn from Ken. I learned from Ben. But that was, that was after, he, after he took the class? Because he didn't. Ben took over the class for Ken. Yeah, when, when Ken left. Well, Ken was still coming in because I remember Belinda, she, she would never come in, but she'd be sitting in the car waiting for Ken. And, <laughs> you know. Eventually, I think he was in the process of turning that class over to your dad. Yeah, I see. What was it like learning during those days? Was there a lot of people? Was it the... Like, like before, you're supposed to do your first set first. Right. And then you do your second set. And your third set, if you do your third set, then you would do walking and then you start with your Don Chi. So the ring around the room because everybody just stand with your back to the wall, right? Stand, do your set. And then he'd walk over and just start... At Ken would start at the corner of the room and then walk, go all the way around. Ben did the same thing. Work with each student all the way yeah, around? Yeah, and, and touch everybody's hands. Oh, that's great. And, and he would continue to do that. If you were late to class and you got in at the wrong end of the line, you missed out. <laughs> <laughs> it and was then, just because there were too many people. 
or just too many people. Uh-huh. So there was a lot happening at San Jose State during those times. It was kind of kind of turbulent. I remember, I mean, I was just a kid. I remember there was the uh, some kind of uh, something happening at the gym or something like that with the uh, the Taiwanese. That was Student and, Union, I think. Okay. The Student Union or Event Center? Or was that there yet? So, and then it emptied out downstairs to the front. There was an event going on. Yeah. So basically, when I was a kid, I don't remember much. All I remember is that me and my brother went with my my dad and my mom to the event center, and there was a some kind of event going on with the Chinese and our Chinese Student Association, I think, and something erupted in the audience. Uh, skirmishes and then uh my father told my mom to get the kids and go to the car so i just remember coming out to uh the car getting bundled in with my brother and my mom and then all of a sudden my father went back in (laughs) so maybe you could fill in uh some of the gaps as to what happened that day the car wasn't it a yellow volkswagen it's an orange Volkswagen wagon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I remember. So what was what was happening? Was there a big fight going on? So China had just gotten recognized, 1972, Nixon, right? Recognized China as being a nation. Finally, there were the pro-Chinese and the anti-Chinese. Like no, not China. Pro mainland, and the other side was the nationalists. Taiwanese. Right. So the people that were pro mainland were putting on the event. It was a Chinese cultural club. Oh, okay. And so at that time, though, the hot political thing was between the the pro mainland and the nationalist Taiwanese. I mean, it was it was hot and heavy. People were getting killed in San Francisco and stuff. Yeah. The mainland paper, or uh, actually the red Chinese, as they called them, then the red Chinese there were the communists, and the others were nationalists. They didn't recognize it as Taiwanese and mainlanders. It was communist and non-nationalists. Those are Kuomintang. Kuomintang guys. Chinese Sixth Company, those guys. So some kind of fight broke out? What happened? Ming, who was the MC, and mind you, he's a librarian, right? So the Chinese cultural club guys are all pretty mellow. Uh, So Ming was on the stage, and in the middle of him saying something, these guys come marching down the aisle. They're all the uh, Kuomintang guys. Somebody just grabbed his leg and pulled him off the stage, and then people started it was just chaos after that. And that's when I got Somebody tried out. to hit him with a, with a pipe. Ming. Oh, wow. Your dad and Sifu Ken were there with some of their practicing students, like John and Ken Wong. I don't know who else, but I had those two. I talked to them later, and yeah, they said, oh, yeah, fight time. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> they were more than willing to fight. Oh, wow. Then Ken would correct them, you know. Like I said, Ken, Ken Wong had a guy by the shirt collar. He was ready to, he was pulling back a punch, and Ken was in his ear going, Chung Choi, Chung Choi. That's hilarious. Turned it around. Changed, changed to this kind of punch. Right. Instead of this kind of punch. Because they uh-huh. got beat up so much, they asked, I think that's when they asked Ken to teach them how to play, teach them Wing Chun. Oh, that was the beginning of the class, beginning of the class of education building. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, so when did you guys, um, you know, start to come over to, um, I guess it was on the Hollycon Circle where we used to live in the backyard, backyard kung fu at my dad's. When did that start? They went, yeah. when they went two days a week. One day wasn't enough. And it was a Tuesday or a Thursday. I don't remember. Probably a Thursday. It was just uh, right after the San Jose State. One day a week at, 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 at that class. And then Saturday was at, at your house. Oh, okay. Okay. At Hollycon, because there was 
not as uppity as where you live now. <laughs> what? <laughs> was, but that, you're talking about 1974, that time frame. Yeah. 74, yeah, 75. Yeah. Uh-huh. Your family was a lot smaller then. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, I want to jump back to uh, Vince for a little bit. Back in Bush Street, I, I remember uh, hearing stories that, um, you know, during that time in the 70s, the early 70s in Chinatown or San Francisco, Chinatown, uh, there was a lot of unrest. The, the watching and I guess the Joe Boys uh, or some groups, gangs would be, uh, you know, a lot of fighting going on. But there, some of those from each group would, would learn from Sifu Ken and from my father back then. Do you know anything about that, Vince? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I was right in the middle of it, you know, living right in Chinatown. And then, yeah, there were um, members of rival gangs in Ken's class. But, you know, they kept the pieces, kind of kept their distance, but they also worked out. But, you know, they didn't bring the regressions to, uh, to class. So they, you know, they respected Ken and his class. So. so it's pretty much, you know, put all of your side things aside when you yeah. enter into the class and then right. leave, leave it outside. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of other stuff, you know, with the mostly American borns against the foreign borns. And then remember uh, the night of the uh, Golden Dragon? Right. Because I was literally, literally maybe a block and a half away directly. I could hear all the sirens and all that stuff in the middle of the night or, or early, you know, early night. Yeah, that was a big incident in Chinatown back in the, the early 70s where uh, it was a mass shooting, actually, in the yeah. Golden Dragon restaurant. Right. And then you would hear about other people that you knew disappearing one by one. Maybe they end up in the river or someone gets shot or something like that. So, you know, growing up in Chinatown just kind of makes you a little bit tougher. Yeah. But it was neat how everyone put aside their differences when they stepped into the class. Yeah. Yeah. Except for some of the neighbors, though, because, you know, sometimes like on Tuesday nights or Thursday or Saturday mornings, you will make a lot of noise and then the neighbors, uh, didn't appreciate the noise, so they would throw bottles at us <laughs> from the third floor, and <laughs> we just retreat back inside and come back out when it's safe. Yeah. Remember so that, that when you guys come back to practice here. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the same history repeats itself at Steve and Sandy's house. Because <laughs> they have apartment buildings right on the other side of the fence, and we would get noisy, or used to get noisy. We've been lucky to have nice neighbors. We've had very yeah. nice neighbors. Especially in the summer, too, at Steve and Sandy's house, when all their the neighbors' windows are open, and a lot of noise just travels right there. It's, it's very adjacent to where we, where we were working out. Yeah, We had to close the doors to the basement, and we also yeah. have a curfew to uh, be quiet. <laughs> After 10 o'clock or so, we had to be quiet, which we mm -hmm. did our best to. But in all those years, we only had the cops called on us, what, once, twice? And, and, and also a letter from the city, too? Yeah. We had a couple letters from the city. <laughs> but one, only one was about noise. The other one was about mistreating my dog. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't there for okay. that. Okay. <laughs> uh, that brings us to an interesting point where my dad uh, had complaints at our house, too, and just couldn't have that many cars in our cul-de-sac. So came to a point where we had to find a new home and then you know Steve and Sandy graciously offered you know to this day was very thankful but why did you guys offer your home backyard uh, to San Jose Wing Chun and, and for over 40 years? It actually was the other house we were living at at that time but it was the same kind of layout and no basement that was always Steve's dream to have a martial arts studio in his backyard. It wasn't that. It was the ability. Yes, it was. It was the ability to wake up and go outside and practice. That's you nice. You never go home early because I drove a bus. You had to, you know. If if I were at your house, I'd have to leave a lot. You know, an hour before you get home and back in bed and ready to go. Here it's just crash out. You're done. <laughs> I'm lucky to be close by the steep house. I'm only about a mile away, so that made it nice and easy to get to his class. 
yeah, even you, it's, it's easy to get to the class, but when you have to get up in the morning and stuff, it's, you know, it's always a hassle. Yeah, and, and parking yeah. in this neighborhood is a lot better than in the suburbs. In the early 70s, though, I, I think uh, I remember there were uh, a good amount of women in the class at mm -hmm. my dad's house. And I just remember, you know, I was so young, but I just remember a lot of women being you know, very, pretty aggressive. Was there something to that? The original group of women that I started with, they didn't stay very long. They were our friends. Um, and so to try to keep the women more interested, your dad developed this quote unquote woman set, which was just, you know, a series of different moves and punch across the backyard, punch back, kick across the backyard, come back and, you know, he moved all the moves from, most of the moves from first set. And then, but at Hollycon Circle, Candace, she was, she was good. She was aggressive. And Ken Werner was there. They were, they were all- All good friends. friends. They are all friends. That's nice. And I, uh, Gail, yeah. softball Gail. player. Yeah, she was in high school then. And Sandy said you came across her before, right? Yeah, Recently, yeah. so. She's still working at Lucky's in Santa Clara. So. Women were tough then. Gail, Gail was really tough, I mean. Really sweet. Oh, I'm sorry. I just remember that, uh, quite aggressive. Gave the guys a tough time, you too. Uh, and I just remember, yeah, you working out with uh, uh, I was pregnant most of the time. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and working out too. But, uh, or Kayla, with, uh, Kayla was there. And I, I remember somebody uh, going through one of our windows as well. He went through the sliding glass door. Your, your windows must have been really clean because he didn't know it was closed. <laughs> yeah, he just walked through that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, no, no, another window. Another, another window? window? Yeah. There's been so many. All our basement windows have been broken too. So I think it's more for you guys than my kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Do you guys remember like what was like you're comparing like the 70s training to like the 80s training? Uh, what, are you, what are your guys' impressions on, on what the differences were? It varied. It changed back and forth. Uh, more aggressive, less aggressive, depending upon who was there because there were guys that, like now, like always, I would learn to fight. I would learn to fight. Well, yeah, but you don't know anything. How can you learn to fight? And you can't stop them. Yeah. Well, you know, in the 70s, I think back then, you know, people were just starting to get more exposed to Kung Fu. Like the TV shows and the movies and people are just starting to get more exposed to that. So there may have been more a different level of interest as well. And then in terms of the level of uh, types of things that my dad taught, maybe it's a little bit different. What I noticed, the guys that would come because they would get beat up in bar fights and learn how to fight. And kids that would start because they were getting bullied in school. But after like, if they stayed for at least two years of Wing Chun, they didn't feel the need anymore to fight. And I, I remember Wayne was back in Hawaii then and talking to him because he had a lot of high school students. And he said the same thing. It's like, they felt like they didn't need to learn how to fight it. Or, you know, it's like they stopped being bullied, but nobody picked on them. I think it's a self-confidence thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't notice that happening right now. But back then, it seemed to be, to me anyway, it seemed pretty pretty obvious sophisticated more it's more sophisticated more more less guns less knives back then mid 70 80s it was all guns somebody would disappear and they'd come back with with, with a loaded gun yeah. so you know kung fu doesn't work well against guns no despite uh, the move <laughs> So Vince, what is your take on what you saw back at Bush Street and then when you started up again in the well, 80s? Yeah, well, we, we definitely saw, you know, involvement you know, of how Wing Chun evolved. It was, yeah, it started a little bit more rough, uh, more aggressive, 
but we got into more of the what can we call the uh, soft soft force of Wing Chun. In fact, he wrote an article about that way back when, and how you, you would rely more on position and sensitivity and your timing rather than brute strength and power and position. So yeah, we saw how things change and how Wing Chun became more refined and you know how you could use it more economically as it was designed from our forefathers. So we're getting closer to it, and, but it takes years and years, but you, but you just gotta stick with it and have good teachers like we do. And a good place of practice like Steve's house. So when, when Ken left and went back to Hong Kong, he left different people in charge of different areas. I yeah. Think Nelson and Mike was in charge of Mike San Francisco. Bradford, yeah, all those guys. Bradford was Sacramento. Eddie ended up in Sacramento as well. And see what Ben too, of course. Well, but in San Francisco, it was basically gave, you know, Mike, Bradford, Nelson. Oh, okay. So that was that was yeah. after Bush Street closed yeah. down. After Ken got married and went back to Hong Kong. And they left these students in charge. The second time he went back was when he got benched. Right, the interesting yeah. story about that. During that time, we were at your dad's place on, on Holicon. But every time Ken went and came back, there would be this special <laughs> private class at, at, uh, at your dad's place. And we would get ushered out. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we didn't get to stay. Even though, you know, I, I knew some of the guys. I'd been there around long enough. You know, I knew yeah. who they were. I knew John, Ken, Eddie. We never got to see. We didn't get to see what dad, they got to do. Your dad and Ken did. No. Never saw them practice. But we got used. But it was inspiring to all to see something new that Ken would bring yeah, back. They, you know? they would get all all hopped up and ready to go, yeah. and class got energized, and we got hit. Yeah. <laughs> Over the years, after you get hit so many times, you kind of learn from that too. Yeah. So you guys, yeah. you guys were the living dummies. Yeah, you we kept those going. Dummies. We do this now, not this. Why is that? Uh, that's the wrong question to ask. <laughs> why is this? Because bam, that's why. <laughs> I was the only smart one. I refused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to learn something, stay in front, and you always get pulled in. You stay in the background, then, you know, just kind of, you miss out on a lot. in the background, he would look for the big, tall guys. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest, tall guys. You know, what are some of your highlights that you just really memorable over the years from your experiences at, with Wing Chun? I still remember the first time, maybe one of the only times my gong sao worked perfectly. <laughs> was that, what happened? Yeah, and I was pregnant with Kaohe, my second one. Showing a little bit. A lot, I was like eight months. <laughs> I was walking out the back door and I was rubbing my eyes, I couldn't see. And John Wong came up and faked a punch to my stomach. And it was just automatic, gong sao. <laughs> and he was like, Ow! <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> In a crisis, Wing Chun works. <laughs> All right. I, maybe it's partially mother's instinct too, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I was just so happy that it worked. <laughs> How about you, Steve? What are some of the memorable moments? Uh, there's, there's so many. I can't, can't even talk about it. I, I really enjoyed the Saturdays when when Ken and Ben were there and somebody would come over and go, I'm a brown belt from here and I'm a this and that and I've been learning for so long and I came to touch your hands. And he, I, I remember more than one guy getting bounced around the, in the basement. It wasn't even as big as it is now. <laughs> I remember, yeah. And inevitably, he would take him around one of the little poles down there and then park him back where they started. And they would inevitably always go, wait a minute, I wasn't ready. <laughs> he would say, okay, get ready. Are you ready? 
And the minute they said yes, he would come in and they'd go around again. Just know that, yeah, Ken's hands are, are very impressive. Your uh, dad's hands were again as well. Yeah. Your dad specialized in feeding. He could repeat and feed and repeat and feed. He could break down and translate the concepts into real hands. In Chinese. Well, enough and, for us to understand. How about you, Vince? Well, I was, I was just going to comment too on uh, on Ben, Sifu Ben, what what Steve was saying. He took a lot from uh, Sifu Ken and made it his too to make it work for a smaller guy. Because as you know, Ben is smaller than Ken, so he took a lot of that to um, make a make Wing Chun work for him in, in his in his um, you know frame. Because uh, he, he was able to turn more and get the center, and he was able to um, hold his own with just the basic fundamentals of Wing Chun. But as far as highlights, you know, I will say though. The last 40 years has pretty, been pretty much a constant highlight. Always looking forward to go to class, working out with the people because the, you know, San Jose Wing Chun is a very much a family atmosphere. Well, you know, it's kind of like, almost like a social place too, which it actually is. But also a place for learning a lot of good things about Wing Chun technically and, you know, functionally. It was great. And also seeing Ken and Ben uh, show their stuff and learning the dummy and constantly pursuing uh, diligently all the Final points of Wing Chun, and you never really get there because you know there's always another level to get to. So yeah, you know it's it's always been a constant challenge and a constant uh, reward with a lot of frustration in between. So it's a good <laughs> ride up and down. And what's really yep. unique to the the relationship between Ben and Ken is, you know, in Hawaii we grew up with the concept of you can't have two women in the same kitchen. And I told that to my friend who's a kumu, who's a teacher. And she said, oh, you think that's bad? Try having two kumus in the same kitchen, which is the same as what sifu and kumu are pretty much equivalent terms. Uh -huh. So to have two sifus in the same space, shared space, like, you know, sifu Ben and sifu Ken is very, very unusual to have that relationship growing, actually to the level yeah. it has for how many 40 plus plus years, right? Yeah. yeah. I think they've been in 68, something like that. Yeah, 68. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been a nice ride because we got to meet all of the quote unquote famous seafoods with names that have come through the area. The Chinese Kung Fu team, when they first arrived, after uh, China was recognized, oh, and that first team that came over, they were the, really good. The Wushu, the first Wushu group. We yeah. were like the halftime entertainment. We did the dummy up there. No, you were holding the dummy along with Lawrence, uh, Mike, and Carson, and I was doing the dummy. In terms of uh, famous Kung Fu people coming in from China, uh, were there anyone of other martial arts that you guys uh, remember meeting? Like other styles, like maybe like Tai Chi or other northern Shaolin arts? Wing Chun and Tai Chi guys was all. Yeah, we remember with Steve, we had an international day about 25 years ago. We had people from all over, Arizona, East Coast, and local, all kinds of different seafoods came by and worked out at your place. It was hard because I've been involved with uh, the Kindle group and Dr. Hazard. Yeah. And he had groups from Japan of same level as Ken, but they would be in Kendo, Naginata, you know, they were that same caliber people in their own arts. And there was a lot of that going on with with both Sandy and I. I could filter during that time. We've been very fortunate to meet world class hands and world class people. So in terms of world class people that you've met in terms of Tai Chi, anyone, any names in particular that you guys want to bring up? Choi, Chan. Yeah, in, in San Francisco, we saw Choi twice. At um, Forest Cafe, Forest Restaurant. Choi was amazing. <laughs> yeah, we actually had a chance to actually try to touch his hands. Isn't it Feng or something like that or? Feng. Yes, Feng. Yeah. That he was amazing. These are real Tai Chi people, not the ones, not the old guy at the park waving his hand, right? Oh, no, these Cause, guys were. Because no. when you think Definitely. of Tai Chi, like I think of the the old guys like waving their arms in the in the 
doing their their meditation stuff but what you're referring to are the real chinese tai chi yeah. guys that have the martial arts fighting background correct yeah these guys are hardcore guys who really know their stuff and really put they're all into it and practice diligently they were yeah they were all got 65 or 70 years old when we saw them yeah Choi had asked me to try to push him and i was only literally a foot away when i tried to push him he would disperse like smoke yes even though exactly where i was where i was coming from and move out of the way just in the nick of time it was very impressive it was like me falling through a trap door Every time I try to touch him. So he asked Adrian to push him. And I said, wait, wait, wait. Let me get behind Adrian. And I said, Troy, can you put it in my hand? And I'd hold his back back leg, back pocket over there. And he said, push him so the energy's here. And he'd go, ah, and I'd go. And Adrian go, yeah, it's there. My leg hurts. <laughs> then I'd go to the other side. And he'd push him and put it over the air like just instantly. Able to switch it, put it up a high, come down low. He could send the energy anywhere in the guy's body, just then, from the two hands. So he's he's pushing him, you know, like like he did. Through those two hands on his chest, he could do that. I think John Ho in our last episode with him, he mentioned something of that too. He said that it was pretty impressive. Uh, he believes he said that if Bruce Lee had ever encountered that kind of power from the tai chi guys he might have changed his thinking in terms of traditional like kung fu it definitely would have was it like an eye-opener for you guys to see this kind of thing yeah yeah never saw that stuff all of Ken's guys and all those guys said oh i want to do tai chi i want to do this Ken said no i want to do wing chan where is it in my <laughs> style how do i do my style like that and that changed to the soft he was aware of it, kind of, with when, when he got bent. Now he had to figure out how to do it or what to do. And that was between Fung and Choi that he could dissipate that, synthesize it into what he does now. That has influence on Ken's thinking about how is Wing Chun classified. It's not classified as an internal style, really, but it's also not really classified as, as an external style. So somewhere in between is where Wing Chun is at. I used to go to these um, PAMA camps, Pacific Association of Women Martial Artists, as an instructor. So they would ask, okay, is your style internal or hard style? And I go, well, I don't know, you know, Wing Chun. And she goes, let me see. This was a Tai Chi Sifu. And she goes, oh, no, no, definitely internal style. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, what she show her? First step. <laughs> oh yeah, that's definitely internal. Style. No, you know she saw all presets. Definitely internal style. It sounds like the Tai Chi guys, in terms of like science-wise, has crazy amounts of training and master muscle, ligament, tendon manipulation that they've trained over the years to achieve that kind of level of mm -hmm. control. That yeah, that kind of energy is is amazing. Yeah, and Choi did a demonstration when we were at um, one of the parties. He asked several of the guys to put, place the palm of their hands on his back. And he would actually have like a um, um, row of energy travel up and down mm -hmm. his body. And you can feel the energy pass through your hand. And he would point to it as it would pass through his body. So he's controlling this energy. And you can feel exactly when it's going to pass your hand. Can yeah, you can feel it. You can, actually you can ripple it through his body and send it to you. That's what he did to Adrian that I talked about before. Yeah. So it's really uh, interesting what he can do with that. The speed at which it comes out depends on whether I hurt you or help you. <laughs> yeah, under his control. He's still around, right? Because I, I heard Fang passed away in 2012. Yeah, Fang's yeah. not around, but I think Choi's still around, I think. Choi is that old, though. He was one of the 100 flower guys, and he was stuck in a concentration camp, and his cellmate was a Yang Tai Chi guy. So Choi had done Chen style for a long time. So they just kind of hooked up. Standing meditation sets, which is uh, the basis of what Choi does, instructs now, is just that. Fang was a little different. He was truly a Chen Tai Chi guy. His thing was when you touch a good Tai Chi guy, you ended up on your back, 
with your arms and legs in the air. Dead, he called it dead bug. He was sitting in a chair. We were at, uh, I don't know, you were there too, I think. Afterwards, we were at a karaoke place or something like, I don't know what it is. Ask him, Ken told me, this is the man, ask him whatever you want. And I said, first of all, can you move people if I stay away from you? And no, no, I can't do that. That's, that's, that's bullshit. I can send it to you, but if you don't feel anything, if you're insensitive, it's no effect on you. But he said, here, grab my hand. And in a minute, slowly and gently twisted me up, turned me on my back, arms and legs in the air. <laughs> like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that changed my whole awareness of Wing Chun. Ken kept saying, how can a small woman do Wing Chun? If you use the framework, in the styles and, and the tools that we have. We already have enough knowledge and enough presence. Actually, all of you guys have enough presence to achieve that. In terms of like the students over the years, how would you like uh, characterize how, how the students have changed over the years? Depends on how the personalities come in. It's uh, always a variety of, the, of people. That's true. Yeah, that's true. If, if strong personalities will prevail. The weaker personality, not the weaker, I don't want to say weaker, but uh, more timid will not bother with it. More yeah, more. Not, why, why am I going to bother? Because <laughs> you have to always go through this big fight. Well, that's not effective. I don't get to see it on MMA. I remember Sifu Ben saying one time, guys will come in that are physically, athletically gifted. They learn fast and they can learn this quick. But he said a lot of times, if a person is more dedicated with lesser physical or athletic ability, but if he's more dedicated, that, that person in the long run will become a better Wing Chun practitioner than the guy who learns fast and he's done, right? Fast and easy and I learned it all, I'm good. I've seen ladies though, and ladies learn a lot faster than guys. Because they seem to be more adaptable to Wing Chun. Well, I think that more adaptable, less ego. Yeah. And what I've noticed is when couples start as a couple, a lot of times when they stop coming and looking back, you go, I'm wondering if it's because the woman learns it faster, gets better at it faster, and then all of a sudden the guy is like, yeah, we don't have to go tonight. I don't, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've seen it with a few couples, and I'm like, what happened yeah. to them? Oh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a, quite a few couples go through the doors. But yeah, they learn a lot faster, they do, the ladies. Yeah, look at Emma. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Or young and female. <laughs> yeah. So how, you guys have seen my dad's hands, and his hands, and according to him, it has changed also over the last, uh, 10, 15, 20 years. Ooh, have you guys seen that? Yeah, he's more yeah. economically, you know, in a structure you know, as a unit, much more proficient. And he never, mm -hmm. I never seen him sweat in the past 40 years. He yes. would go through everybody's hands and working out with everybody one by one, even in the hot summer months, he would never break a sweat or show signs of fatigue. That's yeah. pretty amazing. The best story I think Gary used to tell us he remembers your dad turned, what year was that? His 50th or something. But anyway, he was still working and he came to class and he's like, okay, I've got this much time before I got to go to work. He took every single, from the senior students on down. Everybody showed up, it was a Saturday morning. Yeah, and he worked with each one, just allotted so much time per student till they sweated. <sighs> it was ready to quit and he's like, okay, next. And he went through this whole line, not breaking a sweat, and then he's like, oh, gotta go. <laughs> like, my job. He had 45 minutes. Okay, I gotta wow. make sure I get a little bit of workout, 45 minutes. I also remember him on your birthday. If you had a birthday and you let him know it was your birthday, you were gonna work. <laughs> you were gonna work out. He was gonna do chisa with you until you dropped. Well, that's one thing that has changed. You start with Danchi, Lopsao, Paksao, 
and then the paksaw would lead to double sticky hands, hmm. and then yeah. the double sticky hands would turn to punsao, and then turn back to gaosao again. And that, was, that, that was still there when I started too, I think. When I first started, those were like in 2011, yeah. 2012. Yeah, he definitely had a program going, and it was good, very yeah. beneficial to all the students. To make sure, and he's very good at um, knowing where each student is at, uh, yeah. according to the capabilities and when or when not to show them the next thing because if they're not ready of course he won't show them but yeah but he was very good at knowing exactly where they're at what i noticed over the years is when we first started in the 70s and it's changed it got softer and realized it when we went to la and worked out with um si wong and his hands are like what we had when we started in the 70s his energy didn't evolve the way San Jose's here, you know, Ken and Ben's have. And that was, to me was a striking difference in how that energy has changed. Yep. Economy of movement, economy of energy, the true essence of Wincha. Proficiency. Yep. Same words, same things mm -hmm. were said. It was learned in a different style or a different manner. Like when you came, your hands were bush tree hands, knew right away. Different yeah. from the hands that we had done earlier. Can you have that lantau, you know, punch Turn thing so. yeah. going and he would, you know, jam you to the wall. Oh yeah. Everybody would jam you to the wall and then hold you. And he stopped, he stopped doing that over there to jam you once. Double punch, punch you, so that you would get that jong effect, that back and forth. Wang Dao. Yeah. Yo-yo effect. The emphasis was more on the sensitivity. I think it. when I uh, went to uh, Xu Wang's place and I, you know, got to touch hands with uh, that group, very nice group. Uh, and then when I went to Hong Kong, yeah, there were like more similarities that I saw with the hands with uh, Leung Shem Group in Hong Kong and Siu Wong's. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what we started with. Yeah. Hmm. They, they didn't, I, I think that's a progression of the class. Because mm -hmm. you, you, you get a class and you get the, like I said, you get the fighty stage class and then you get the older guys in the fighter, fighty stage class that go, oh, I don't want to fight. I just want to contain you. And they develop a little bit different hands while those guys, and then the new guys coming in, they don't develop that fighty type hands. Well, I think it's also the way that Ken changed the way his taught. Right, his emphasis has changed. Yeah. Whenever he yeah. went back to Hong Kong and came back, there was a different element to his teaching. You know, right. I think that's what eventually Got handed down to us through you my always dad. always stress position, sensitivity, and energy. Yeah, that hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. always, always, always that. Elbow and knees, always elbows and knees. Ken yeah. and Ben always, always said that. Yeah, so we can credit a lot to Sifu Ken and Sifu Ben. You know, they taught us a lot over the years, and we're lucky to be uh, involved in all that and actually witness the, uh, you know, the changes become part of this involvement, how we evolved and how we... Take it long for a ride. So we're well, lucky to be part of it. Ben and Ken were have never really been separated and apart from each other once they came back. You know, for long periods of time, every week or two weeks, they're having lunch together. You know. Oh yeah, they always. And they're all and and the topic is always Wang Chun and always the class. Mm -hmm. This one and this one. What do I do with this? I don't. You know. That's what I assume because I don't speak Chinese, so I, you know, I assume that that's what it is. But the whole life is, you know, my oldest son, when he was living in Hawaii, and um, I think Sifu Ken went out there to visit the class oh. there, and so Kayla had lunch with him and talking with him, and he came back and said, you know, Uncle Ken, um, he uses Wing Chun in everything in his life. He goes talking with him about business and just different aspects of life, actually. And he said, he uses Wing Chun in everything. 
not just, you know, working out with the hands and all that. In terms of the students that you've had in the past, Sandy, any interesting characters you've had that you've seen come by? Oh, there have been quite a few. Several. <laughs> Depends on a generation. Yeah, but which which era do you want to? Uh, just the highlights, maybe. Who was the guy that uh, uh, studied with Bruce Lee? Came to study with Ben. Anyway, he was there, and they were in the gym. And this cop guy said, "Let's work out. I do Wing Chun too. I can do that." And the guy says, "Well, KD and he were hurting, but the guy was such an idiot. The guy did a, a side punch." broke a rib <laughs> when that guy came in he broke his rib said okay we're done <laughs> yeah like what happened when when that gentleman got punched he said he had stitches on his uh yeah, chest well, that like exploded heart surgery well years ago yeah but yeah he said he never could figure out what this lump in his chest yeah, big was lump in the center of his chest yeah he said it was just a lump no, and it hurt yeah. a little and then he said when ken punched him and this Things stuck out, so, and he was bleeding. So he pulled it out. He's like, "Oh wow, that was a suture they forgot to take out." No, it was a suture. It was a gauze. A gauze. Huge something. gauze thing. Oh, it was something that was in his chest that they didn't take out. And he's like, oh, "Wow, now I feel better." So, so instead he was of a lump, it was all. Then he had a hole in his chest instead. But he said it felt better. So yeah, it, it healed over and stuff, and mended, but. Because Ken was doing a demo on him, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I got the the camp. Did you ever go to a camp, Francis? No, I, I did went not. to one. I went to the last one, and now should I go on to one. more? Because they were fun. They were great. I talked myself into going to the camps and watching and and doing all that, and I said those were all very interesting. Yeah. Very Non-stop interesting. Wing Chun. Non-stop until three in the morning. Yeah, three yeah. in the morning. Yeah, and then it started again at 7.30 with breakfast, and then right after breakfast, nonstop winter. And people with hangovers. Your dad is an early riser. Yes. So no matter what happens, even at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, where we're finally, you know, last story and they go to bed, he's up at 6.37, walking around, always. And so I always told the guys, I said, you want some quiet time with Ben, get up early. Nobody else will be up. <laughs> And some of them did. The The Florida guys did that. They got up early enough. The camps are a good connector. Yes, well, we yeah. kind of continued after you guys stopped doing the camps when we went down to uh, Southern California to visit Si Wong uh, at the time, Hawkins, Gary Lamb. Uh, and, and then it, those are the relationships that I, I will always cherish because I would have never gotten those to meet these like Kung Fu teachers that I had never imagined that were sitting right next to me. I remember calling Hawkins because I was like, hey, Francis, why don't we reach out to Hawkins because he should be right here, right? And yeah, get your get the phone over to my dad and call. I call him. He goes, hey, uh, remember me? I met you at Sifu Ben's birthday probably 2011 yeah i remember you what are you what are you guys doing out here oh we're meeting with uh sifu siwa he goes oh the the mute deaf guy i was like whoa that's 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 not rude at all and he goes no no it's cool we're good friends i'm just joking around and i was like he's a, he's a really hawkins was one really funny guy and he goes yeah tomorrow i'll join you guys and he pops out of nowhere and we're doing dim sum at the exact same place at the exact same table at the exact same restaurant eating the same food <laughs> and he comes out with us and we're working out with him then he goes hey you guys want to go to gary lamb's place i'm very close with uh, with him too and then he follows us over to gary <laughs> gary lamb's place and it was just it was just a fun adventure um going at the time he still had a school so he goes this he goes like hey come out to my school later and i'll show you some stuff and then we went to his studio uh and and that was the last time we saw him at that studio a year later we we visit it he shows up again we still do the dim sum thing with Sifu uh, Si Wong. And then he goes, hey, you want to meet uh, Sifu Holding? We're all friends with him too. And then all of a sudden, Si Wong, Hawkins, and me, and there was a few other people, we pop up at Holding's house. And I'm like, this is surreal because this is the dummy maker that made Jongs for Yip Man back in Hong Kong, one of uh, Si Wong's students. He goes, hey, there's a, if you go to his house, there's, there's a, a Robo Jong. What was a Robo Jong? Sifu Holding create a electric, Robo Jong, and it was powered by an electric piston back in 
in probably in the 70s or 60s and we we never knew what it was so we were curious to see what it was and next thing you know Hawkins shows up too we're all there we're looking at it and and we're playing with this robo jump that he had back in uh back in Hong Kong and it was cool because he when he unveiled it uh, he unveiled it like it was never been used for for decades so we saw one of our guys work on it and saw this guy's face light up because it was just amazing to see his drawing being used again after this whole time of not being used for for such a long time but i again those relationships were because i learned it from you guys and the family and the cultivation of the people and and what it meant to stick together as like a family the ohana the hawaii spirit that both of you guys have spread over the years i remember that i remember the uh, robo jong when it was in hong kong and people were talking about it then over there it was like a mechanical piston it was difficult because it was heavy it was difficult to turn but you know that's why you use your horse yeah it was a lot of timing too if you if you misstepped one of those things that would have knocked you off and into the wall which is probably maybe a foot away at the time when they place that that robojong yeah so it just basically what it does is it it just goes moves back and forth the whole jaw moves back and forth is this like gas powered or it was, it was electric powered, and he didn't go all the way he said there was actually a few more notches he could have used but he didn't want to hurt anybody because <laughs> 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 if you if you missed up uh just a little bit that middle leg thing would have kicked you in the groin uh and for for the guys that that was not comfortable uh, and then on the other side of the back there was a Charlie foot kind of jong where Wing Chun Kung Fu on one side and you did Charlie foot on the other side both people can use it at the same time. I don't know what he ended up doing with it because I heard he passed away a few years ago. Uh, but he was in his nineties, right? He was. He was in his nineties. His his wife had just gone back from the hospital from some sort of surgical procedure. I saw a video on YouTube. It was on a rooftop in Hong Kong about a year ago. So I wonder if that was the same one or someone else made made a duplicate of it. But somebody paid. Somebody paid to bring it over. Somebody paid to take it back. I don't know. Maybe uh, it was interesting because I've definitely seen that firsthand. And that was an impressive piece of machinery. Um, and, and I remember one thing he said was, he said Hawkins, he was just, he was just teasing him the entire time because you know, the guy was in, in his 90s. Hawkins was like, Sifu Benze. She goes, I'm uh, Si Hing Hawkins, how are you doing? And then Hawkins smiles and says, yeah, I am a Si Hing because I learned before he did. And then he goes, <laughs> this, he's like, this Si Hing over here just comes to my house and steals my, uh, my, my fruits. And he just leaves. And he looks at me, he smiles and says, yep. I just come here and take his fruit and I leave. I don't even say hi sometimes too. And I was like, it's just comedic kind of thing that to see this for, for guys that age. And it's <laughs> nothing that I would ever experience if I never did Kung Fu. So especially with San Jose, that was a pretty, pretty cool experience for me. At that time, at the time that that was invented, that was uh, Bruce Lee with the flashlight thing, you, you know, to build speed, you know, the light would flash and you'd punch it or, you know, it, Bruce Lee had all these little things to work on his speed and work on his Wing Chun stuff. And so, you know, gadgets were all there. We have all the gadgets we need. <laughs> I would like to thank everyone, Steve and Sandy, for being here today and giving us such a great in-depth coverage of the history of San Jose Wing Chun and how it went from the San Francisco school from Vince's days and how Steve and Sandy took over in the San Jose, graciously let us use their house and their basement, their backyard, and their garage uh, to use this space to continue to learn Wing Chun. Vince, Steve, and Sandy, very integral integral parts of the uh, Wing Chun family that the, without you guys, uh, it wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be at all, especially seeing Vince with the, seeing Vince with all his knowledge and all that stuff from all the years put together. Uh, we're lucky to be there. You know, that's like what Learn Strong said, right? Lucky you found us. We're lucky we found Sifu Ken and Sifu Ben. Oh. So see, Francis, look at what you got to carry on now. Uh, <laughs> big shoes will fall. A little bit at a time. <laughs> as long as you continue to touch hands, no problem. Yeah, thanks a lot, Steve, Sandy, and Vince. Yeah, we want to thank you guys, too, for the opportunity to share our history with uh, San Jose and Wing Chun. And certainly San Jose and Wing Chun certainly wouldn't be the same without Steve and Sandy's place to be utilized like they're offering to us all the time. It was great. A little bit of aloha. 
Well, it's it's a great chance for me and for us to to go through this. And you guys are telling us the stories, and we just want to give you guys a voice to voice your your stories for everyone else here, since there's not a lot about the Lonesome lineage in the U.S. or given in, in English for anyone to understand that don't speak or read Chinese or Cantonese. So this is a, a great platform for everyone to share their stories. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, very much. All right. See you later, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thank Bye. Okay.